going to read these Beatitudes until I'm finished with them, and I'm going to deal with about two of them a week. That's all I can handle. There's eight of them. So we'll be on them for four weeks. This is the second week, <clears throat> the Beatitudes. And let's just begin reading the eight Beatitudes where Jesus begins every one of them with blessed are those who do this. So how many of you in here today want to be blessed? You really want to be blessed. I don't know anybody who wants to be cursed. So if you want to be blessed, Jesus is giving us eight keys in how to experience blessing in the kingdom of God. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. We, you can read it with me if you want. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Too loud, Steve. I'm really getting back. It's bouncing back on me. All right, let's try it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall possess the earth. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied or filled. All right, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Notice it didn't say blessed are the mean. It said blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That's the way it ought to be in the church. Now verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Boy, catch these promises, y'all. The pure in heart are going to see God. Now let's go on. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you that you've got bread for the children, that you have meat for the hungry, water for the thirsty. And we pray, Lord, that you will speak to us today. Fill us, Lord. For we desire you, hunger for you, and thirst after you in the name of Jesus. Now, will you breathe a prayer and just say, Lord, speak to me. I receive with meekness the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you so much. We began last Sunday talking about the Beatitudes, the Be Happy Attitudes. We call them the Be Happy Attitudes because that's what blessed means. It means happy, to be envied, are those who are blessed. And so we're not talking about happiness that depends on a happening. That's the way we understand happiness in the West, in America, that something's got to happen to make me happy. If you walked out of here today and discovered that you had won the lottery, I, I do believe that you would shout for joy and you would experience some happiness. But it may not last because worldly happiness does not last. Kingdom happiness is not dependent on a happening. Kingdom happiness depends on obedience. The joy of the Lord is released into our hearts no matter what is happening around us. And so we're not looking for worldly happiness so that we're waiting for a happening to make us happy. But what we are learning is how to unlock the door to kingdom joy, kingdom blessedness. And Jesus is giving us eight keys on how to experience joy in the kingdom of God. Now, I think I'm talking to people who are saved today and people who want to experience the joy of the Lord. So if that's you, can you give me a great big amen today? Amen. That's pretty good. So say with me, I want to be blessed. Well, Jesus begins his, his great, greatest, best-known sermon 
by telling us eight ways to experience blessing. Blessed is not a word that describes somebody who's just fortunate. That is not what blessed means. It's not somebody lucky. That's not what blessed means. When Jesus used the word blessed, he was talking about somebody who's faithfully walking in the way of the Lord by obeying his word. Those are the ones who are recipients of kingdom blessing. So catch this now. Kingdom happiness is not an emotional high based on favorable circumstances. Out there, circumstances are favorable one day, and they're against you the next day. That is not what it's talking about. But kingdom blessedness or happiness is a consequence based on obedience. The more I obey the Lord, the more of the joy of the Lord I experience. The more that I walk in the way that I know He has called me to walk, the more joy I experience. i got to tell you something, folks. I'm walking close with Him as close as I know to get. And every time I say, yes, Lord, and I experience that obedience in my life, I know what he wants me to do and I do it. I experience a release of joy in my heart. And I have discovered that kingdom joy is not dependent on things going well for me out here. Kingdom joy rises above things that happen out here. Kingdom joy springs up within me. The waters of life are released in me and spring up into everlasting life as I obey Jesus in my every day, every day. As I obey the word of the Lord, I experience the blessing of God. And so obedience brings joy. Happiness is a consequence based on obedience. Now, the Beatitudes were Jesus' opening salvo to the entire Sermon on the Mount, and they were taught exclusively to his disciples. The Bible says seeing the multitudes, he didn't stay with the multitudes, but seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was sat, it says his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. So this is family teaching. This is teaching aimed at people who have decided to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life. And so if you haven't, let me persuade you to do it. Because if you're on the periphery, on the outside looking in, you're never going to know what I'm talking about today. You're never going to have kingdom joy. You're never going to have kingdom peace. So let's just jump off the high board into the deep and experience the best that God has by being every day, 24-7, disciples. Now we see that the, 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 the Beatitudes, the be happy attitudes, are really have two messages in them. The first one is one of hope for the future. We may cry now, be hungry now, be sick now, be disappointed now, experience disillusionment in this life, and I guarantee you, you will. But there is a day coming when Jesus Christ is going to rule this earth, there is a better day coming. There is a new day coming. Jesus is going to rule this earth, and the will of God is going to be perfectly done. The world will be ruled by the Lamb of God from Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem that is going to descend out of heaven and be placed on this renewed planet earth. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Peace will rule. And all the frustration, all the disappointment, all the anger, all the disillusionment is going to fade in the light of His glory and grace. 
Now the second message answers of the, of the Beatitudes answers the question of what would Jesus do in, in different situations? What would Jesus do? As I look at the Beatitudes, I see the character and the person of Jesus explained and described and painted for me. And it shows me what he would do. WWJD, what would Jesus do? What would he do in these circumstances I'm in? The Beatitudes show me what he would do so that I can put it in my own life, walk it out in my own life. Matthew presents us with a list of attitudes and attributes that Jesus is looking for in people. He's looking for these things in you and in me. What's he looking for? He's looking for people who acknowledge their dependence on God. Give us this day our daily bread. I am daily dependent on God. I don't care if you've got a billion dollars in the bank. You ought to be dependent on God. We are dependent daily on God. Jesus teaches daily dependence on God. And that's what he's looking for. He's looking for those who have a gentle spirit. Not a mean spirit. Not a harsh spirit. But a gentle spirit. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for people who rejoice when righteousness prevails. There is something that happens inside the heart of a child of God when righteousness wins the day. There is something that rejoices in us. He's looking for that. He's looking for those who show mercy instead of judgmentalism. He's looking for those who, have, who look like him and walk like him and talk like him, not like Pharisees who judge and condemn, but who have mercy and forgive. He's looking for that. He's looking for people who have pure hearts, who are seeking after God. God is looking for that. And those who are peacemakers, peacemakers, those who want to see peace prevail in the home, in marriages, in our culture, those who want peace. The Ten Commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament book of Exodus give us a series of thou shalt nots, and they all have to do with action. You shall not this, you shall not that. They all deal with outward action. But Jesus in the Beatitudes gives us eight thou shalts. And I don't know about you, but something in me likes thou shalts better than thou shalt not. They are eight thou shalts, virtues that lead to reward. He gives us, he gives us an incentive to live with every one of these, to work every one of these attributes into our lives. Now, I see something else in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes in my opinion, show a progression in spiritual growth. They show a progression in the spiritual life. Last week I shared with you that when he said the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's talking about those who realize their spiritual poverty. In my mind, that is somebody who's beginning to get saved, somebody who is being awakened by the Holy Ghost and is on the verge of being saved. Because when he comes to you, he says to you, when you're lost and need to get saved, you say you are rich and have need of nothing. But I say to you, you are miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. I see that as Jesus waking up a sinner and saying, do you see that you are spiritually in poverty? Because if you do, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because there's no way you can repent, and you will never come to him until the Spirit of God wakes you up, rattles you, shakes you, and shows you your need of him. 
So there's beatitude number one. I'm awakened. Wow, I'm in poverty. And why am I in poverty? Because I'm living in sin. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn for their sin. When I see that I am in sin, when the Holy Ghost is dealing with me as Jesus said he would, because Jesus said when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment. And it's a great and a grand day in your life when he shows you your poverty and then convicts you of sin because you're mourning with a godly sorrow that leads to godly repentance. He says, for they shall be comforted. I want to tell you, folks, the Holy Ghost does not comfort sinners. He comforts those who repent. And so you repent having mourned over your sin. And when you repent, you are comforted by the comforter from heaven, the Holy Ghost of the living God. Now I see now a progression. Here it is. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, I'm in poverty. I'm in poverty. I need Jesus. And how do I get to him? I repent because I see him. I'm mourning over my sin. Now, this person, in my opinion, in Beatitude 1 and Beatitude 2, has been saved. Now, Beatitude 3 and 4 are dealing with character attributes that ought to be experienced by the person who is now a child of God. So he says, first of all, now that you're his, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Well, what is meekness? This third beatitude, what is it? Is it weakness? Is meekness weakness? Is it timidity? Is it a negative? The Bible says it can't be a negative because a real man's man named Moses was called the meekest man on the face of the earth. So it can't mean wimpy. It can't mean timid. It can't be a a negative word. Meekness in the Bible is extremely positive. The Greek word for meek was used to refer to domesticated animals. Now watch this. The word does not refer to a wild, unruly animal, but it refers to a strong and a powerful horse or an ox that has been trained and disciplined so that it can be controlled by a human. When I think of a horse, a powerful horse, rippling with muscles, snorting, could run a hundred miles without stopping, much more stronger than a man, yet a man sits on that horse with reins on that horse, and all that strength and power come under discipline. That's meekness. The word meek used in Matthew 5.5 refers to a strong person who's under control, a God-controlled person. A meek person is a man or a woman of God whose strength is controlled by God. Let me put it another way. Meekness is strength under discipline. Meekness says this, I could, but I won't. I could, but I won't. That's meekness. Meekness is somebody, you know, we talk about people who have strong personalities. I've got a strong personality. I know a lot of people have strong personalities. Truth be known, I think every human being alive on earth has a strong will. It may take you a while to find it, but marry them. You'll find it. And they'll find yours too. We all have strong wills. And here's the deal, folks. Jesus wants our strong personalities, our strong wills to come under the control of the Holy Ghost. That's meekness. I would if I could, 
but I can't, not because I'm not strong enough, but because I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit. Meekness is strength under discipline. A meek man is not a weak man. He's not wishy-washy. He's not effeminate, and he's not timid. He's not somebody you can walk all over. A meek man is not passive and spineless. That's not what it means. In fact, the meek man is just the opposite. The person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be meek before God, but mighty and bold before the world. You show me a a meek person, and I'll show you somebody who in the presence of God is on their knees, and they're saying, Lord, I can't do this without you. I cannot live this life without you. I can't walk in victory without you. Lord, I am totally dependent on your power. I'm totally dependent on your spirit. I've got to have your word. Lord, you are so good. I submit my life to you. You are my Lord. I love you, Lord. But then when they stand on their feet, they roar for God. Meek, strength held back. Now, yesterday I had a wonderful experience, a wonderful opportunity to experience meekness. Kathy and I were going to a wedding, and we were driving down 820, and there was a wreck. And so, of course, you know, it's 100 degrees out. The heat waves are bouncing off the street. Everybody in this traffic jam is mad. And here we are, and, and, and I'm in the right lane, and Kathy says, you know, I really think that the left lane's going quicker. How many of you men know that voice? <laughs> I, I think the left lane's going a little bit quicker. And I said, really? She said, I think you can get in. She said, look, there's a big space. She said, look, they're going faster, so get on over. So I did this and, and got over with a lot of space behind me. But the one that was behind me was a pickup truck, and in the pickup truck, was a woman driving and two guys, and one of them decided to give me the the half a peace sign. (laughs) Every way he could. Now, let me tell you something. At that particular moment, I didn't feel an anointing of meekness. I felt the, the anointing of Texas. You know what the anointing of Texas is? Whoop them and then repent. That's the anointing of Texas. And and, and I just felt this thing come over me. I'm looking at him in the rearview mirror. And I I really should have turned the rearview mirror away. Kathy's saying this, just leave him alone, don't even bother with it. But something in me, it's that strength, it's that stallion, it's that something in human people that, that, that just wants to take things into their own hands. And so I just grabbed that door handle and I, and I had this vision. I'm going to get out, no, no, traffic's not moving anyway, I'm going to walk right up to the window and say, excuse me, what does that mean? What are you trying to say to me? And, and, and I had already judged the situation that he wasn't real big and I felt strong enough that even if he was. This is really true. And here I am, I'm going to preach the gospel that night. And, 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 and so I... I thought, okay, Jeff, you're a believer. So turn it over to God. So right there I said, Jesus, I just give this to you. I give him to you. And all of a sudden I felt, I felt the yoke of Jesus come over my neck and I felt peace rise up within me and it was strength held back, probably foolishness held back too, but it was strength held back. I could, but I won't. And that happens a million times in a million ways 
every day of the week where you could, but you shouldn't. You could, except you're a child of God. And meekness, the, the yoke of Jesus. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And you will find, watch this, rest for your souls. Well, see, the meek person finds rest because the meek person realizes that their battles are not theirs, but they are God's. The meek person realizes that they don't have to handle everything. They can turn it over to God. There is a rest that comes to the soul when you allow meekness, when you allow Jesus to put that yoke over you and learn meekness in situations where normally you would have taken things into your own hands and probably suffered for it. Anybody hearing me today? So what I did, in essence, is, see, his word is the yoke. His word is the yoke. So anytime when you're in a situation where you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm really being aggravated here. I'm being, I'm being tested. This is something. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to be a human. I'm going to be a man. And then you see Jesus saying, don't you dare do that. Take my yoke upon you. And as soon as you receive the word of God and say, I'm supposed to walk in meekness, that doesn't mean you let people push you around. But that means there's a lot of times you ought to shut up. That's, that means a lot of times you ought to pull back. A lot of your future depends on what you can walk away from as much as what you can walk toward. And so you, you receive his word, and it's like putting that yoke around your neck, and you learn of him. And so there on the highway, I learned of Jesus, and I learned that I didn't have to take that thing into my own hands. He took care of that little fella. I don't know where he is now, but I'm sure he's cursed. No, I pray, I pray a blessing on him, sort of. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm saying. See, this can work out, this works out all the time in your marriages, at the workplace. There's all kinds of times when you hear Jesus saying, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Meekness is peaceful, fully developed Christian love, free from all malice. It's manifested in the spirit of a man or a woman who never become angry and never permit themselves to grumble against God or people. That's meekness. You see Moses, you see his own sister coming in and questioning his authority. And what did Moses do? He just bowed himself to the ground and gave the whole battle to God. When Korah, Dathan, and Abiram came into him and said, hey, we hear God too. Who do you think you are? We hear God too. Moses said, oh, and he just turned it over to God. He said, meet me at the tent tomorrow morning, boys, and we'll let God answer this. Well, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram came strutting up the next day, believing that God was going to fight for them. And as they stood there, the earth opened up, swallowed them whole, and closed back. And Moses didn't say one word. The meekest man on the face of the earth. How many of you wish that that kind of power was floating around every once in a while in your life? Can you say with me, meek is not weak. It's really strength. It shows incredible strength of character if you can practice meekness instead of the weakness of losing your temper, shouting at everybody, screaming at everybody, making everybody afraid of you and intimidated by you. Instead, you've learned just to keep it within. Give it to God. Work it out in meekness. Christian meekness expresses itself mainly in patient endurance of insults inflicted by others. It's the opposite of anger, malice, self-exaltation, and vengeance. It's the opposite. 
A meek man is patient. He has a long view of life, knowing that in the end it's not the wicked who win, but it's the meek. It may take God time, and it probably will take God time. He will move in a timetable that would not have been yours. But if you give him many of the battles coming against you in life today and practice meekness, strength held back, I give this to God. I'm patient. I am capable of being patient and waiting on God. You will see God put the pieces on the chessboard right where he wants them. A meek person always regrets the hardness of heart of the offending party. He desires his correction, prays to God for forgiveness of his deeds, remembering the words of the Apostle Paul. If it is possible, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men, as much as is possible. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God has laid claim on the vengeance market. And he says, don't avenge yourself. Practice meekness. Give things to God. Trust him. Pray it through. And be patient. Be patient. The best example of meekness given to us is that of Jesus Christ on the cross for his enemies. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And that prayer reached not only those that were standing at the foot of the cross, mocking and ridiculing him, but it reached down through the tunnel of time to us today. Meekness, strength held back. I'm telling you, folks, Jesus Christ could have blinked his eye and vaporized them. But he didn't. Because he came to die for our sins, not destroy us. Amen? Amen. God himself tells us that the meek, not the wicked, will inherit the earth. The wicked may indeed possess the earth for a short time today. The Donald Trumps and the Bill Gates of this world may possess the earth for a time today. But the day is going to come soon and very soon when God will turn to the sun and in his providential, unfathomable timing will say to Jesus Christ, Son, go get your bride. And the chief archangel will blow the trumpet and Christ will come to the earth and rapture his people out. And then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and the meek will inherit that earth. Psalm 76, 9 says, Then God arose to judgment to save all the humble of the earth. So the Lord promises the meek that they will inherit the earth. The meek of this present life are going to be preserved by the power of God in spite of the cruelest persecution. But in the future life, they're the ones who are going to rule with Jesus Christ. This renewed earth, it'll be the meek. Praise God. So now here I see the character attribute of meekness growing in me, following poverty of spirit and mourning over my sin. And then the last beatitude I want to talk about today is blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I see this as something that happens in people who begin to walk with God. Can I tell you today that if you don't have a hungering and a thirsting after the things of God, 
That's not a sign of spiritual health. But I believe you do or you wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning in the heat of the day when you could be on the nearest lake or in the nearest restaurant or sitting at home watching the babble box called TV. Instead, you got up, you got dressed, you picked up your Bible, you hauled your kids here, you're sitting in church. Why? Because there is in you a hungering and a thirsting after the things of God, a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness. See, Christianity is not a big bunch of rules that you got to do. Christianity gives you a divine want-to-do. Oh, I want to seek him because he is good. I am my beloved's and he is mine. And I love the Lord and I want the things of God. His word is a feast to me. When I open up his word, you know, somebody is making a Bible for me that when I open it, there's going to be a light in there and it's going to shine on my face. And I'm waiting for that Bible because I want to open it in front of you because that's the way I feel. I feel when I open up this Bible, hallelujah. It's alive. Jesus said the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are alive. They pulsate with life. They are alive. This is not just any book. This is the God-breathed book. This is the God-breathed word. These words are supernaturally charged with life. They give life to the hungry soul. I tell you, I've got a hunger. I used to open up this Bible when I was lost, and I'd see all the th- these and thous and wouldas and shouldas and couldas, and I put it back down, closed it. So that's the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. But when I got saved and opened up these pages, it leads out at me. It grabbed me by the throat. It grabbed my mind. It grabbed my heart. It began to speak to me. It guided me. His word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. It is my guide. It's my food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the living God. I'm so thankful for the word of God. And Jesus said when somebody has been saved and they're beginning to develop Christian maturity and Christian growth, this is one of the things that's going to show up. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those people who deeply acknowledge their sinfulness, their guilt before God, and have a burning desire for righteousness. Now, what is meant by righteousness? If Jesus used the word righteousness, what did it mean? It means living in what is just and honorable and godly. Righteousness is comprised of those things that are upright, virtuous, noble, morally right, and ethical. God puts in your heart a desire to walk righteously, to walk morally, to walk ethically. He puts that in your heart. It becomes a part of you. He says, I'm going to write my word on the table of your heart. It's not going to be just something you read and put in your brain. I'm going to put my law in your heart. You're going to want to be like me, walk like me, talk like me. This is what born again does. It doesn't put a new coat on a man. It puts a new man in a coat. Solomon reveals in the book of Proverbs that righteous living will affect four areas of our life. First, it will affect our hearts. Solomon said, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Righteous living will get hold of your heart. As a matter of fact, you will begin to live righteously because it gets a hold of your heart. Jesus is the possessor of the heart. He grabs our heart. I am my beloved's. He is mine. Having not seen him, yet we love him. The Holy Ghost grabs our heart, seizes and captures our heart. 
The second area that righteous living affects is our talk. It says, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. The Holy Ghost, a new nature, gets a hold of your talk and says, don't gossip, don't slander, don't lie, don't curse, clean up your speech, don't complain and murmur and bury yourself into a grave six feet under by that shovel called your tongue. Change your talk, change your talk. Righteous living will get a hold of your talk, but it also gets a hold of your walk. He said, ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established, Solomon wrote. Ponder the path of your feet. Every path, every direction your life is taking, be sure that you're taking it according to the Lordship of Christ. Don't go down any path. Don't take any way. Don't take a detour. Don't go left. Don't go right without the amen and the leading of God. Ponder the way that your feet are taking you because your feet are carrying you the way your heart is carrying you. What is in your heart affects your feet. Your feet follow where your heart's already gone. So I was thinking last night as I was driving up to this church to preach the gospel. Kathy and I got out of the car. We're walking across the parking lot, all these church people around. I thought, I like this. I like knowing that I'm walking up to this building to preach the good news to people. I like knowing I'm going in here to water them with the Word of God. I like knowing that I'm taking the steps of Jesus. It says He went about everywhere doing good and healing all who were possessed of the devil. That's the way that Jesus took. So when I study the Beatitudes, I see Jesus' feet always walking in the path of righteousness, and I see Him saying, if that's you, you're going to be blessed, happy, and to be envied. The blessings of God are going to chase you down and take you over because I want to bless you and here's the way. Let him get hold of your feet. And then he said, your sight, finally your sight. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. The Bible makes it clear that the focus of the eye of the child of God, the physical eye and the eye of the soul is to be looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, fastened on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him. Man, I came to preach a little bit today, y'all. I hope you came to hear. I came to preach a little bit. I didn't come to have religion. I came to cook you with the Word of God. We need to hear the Word of God. So, so if, if I've really been saved, then He gets my heart. He gets my talk. He gets my walk. Amen. And He gets my eyes. He says, looking unto Jesus. So I wake up in the morning. Good morning, Lord. I go to bed at night. Good night, Lord. Glad you have insomnia and you're taking care of things while I sleep. Amen? Amen? So, the expression hunger and thirst means that our yearning for righteousness must be strong. As strong as our desire to appease our physical hunger and thirst. King David said, as the deer pants after the water, brooks, so pants my soul after you, oh my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I've got a thirst and a hunger for God. I want more of God. I don't have enough of God. I've got God, but I want more of God. There's enough, but never enough. It's good, but never good enough. I wake up and I want more. I go to bed and I want more. I want more of the one who died for my soul and rose from the dead. I want him like a thirsty man sees a water brook and dives in and begins to drink. Yeah. 
God promised that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled, filled, filled. What does filled mean? Well, back to the wedding just for a minute. I got so hungry on the way to that wedding, and we were running late. The wedding was at 2 o'clock. We were about 158. We were just turning off the highway to get there. And this was a friend that we'd had for over 30 years. But I was so hungry. I said, Kathy, is it okay pulling right there and let me just grab a power bar or something? How many of you know what Kathy said? <laughs> she said, Jeff Wickwire, you know we can't pull into a store like that. We're already late. And don't do that. It'll kill your appetite. Well, she was right. Because during the wedding, my stomach was sending up warning signals. I was hungry. So as soon as that wedding was over, I went up to the groom, the bride. God bless y'all. Happy for you. See you later. Where's the food? And I went off for the lunch. And there was a veritable feast. There was ribs, chicken, baked, broiled, fried, barbecued. There was potato salad. There was coleslaw. There were rolls with butter dripping off of them. (laughs) I had to get a bib. (laughs) I went through that line, sat down. Bless it, Lord. You ever done a real quick prayer? Bless it, Lord. Half of us already down your throat. Bless it, Lord. Oh, I ate and I ate and I ate. It was so good. I said, Lord, thank you. This is so good. I was talking to some people, and when I was done, I had to look behind me. But when I was done, I said, don't they have dessert here? And the person said, well, look right over there. There's the wedding cake. And lo and behold, to my wonderful, joy-filled eyes, I saw three cakes. There was German chocolate. There was carrot cake. And there was coconut. I walked up to the line. The woman said, what do you want? I said, you know, I'm really not sure. I think I'll have a sampler's platter. And I got a slice of each. So I just really believe God wants me to test all these out. So I took it back, and I ate, and I ate. You know what I felt like when I was done? Phil! I said, Kathy, roll me out of here. Now, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be. That's what he means. He means we ought to walk out of church. Yeah, you ought to leave your devotional in the morning. Oh, I'm so full. Praise God. He doesn't want us walking around starving, anemic, hungry all the time, irritable, on the edge. Filled. 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 How do you know when you're done with your devotional? When you're filled. How do you know when you're done praying? When you're filled. Blessed are the meek. Can you say this with me? Let's stand together and let's say this together. Blessed are the meek. Those whose character is controlled by the Holy Ghost. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied and filled. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand of praise. Can you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, God is good, and I hope all of you waddle out to your cars. Waddle to the nearest restaurant. When they say, what's the matter with you? I'm just filled. 
well, then why are you here? Well, I want physical food now, but I just got really stuffed at church. Stuffed at church. I never heard that before. The amazing thing I'm learning with these hundred guitars of praise, I can't tell you how often it happened to me several times last night. People come up to me, church people, been in church all their lives, saying to me, I have never heard a message like that. That's like a restaurant saying, we've never had meat in this place. I said, what have you never heard? We've never heard a a message on the cross and the blood like that. I say, where do you go to church? And they tell me. You know, I'm finding myself in the unusual position of being a novelty just by preaching the cross and the blood. Which I would never have gotten. It wouldn't have been the case 40 years ago. So many churches have copped out and gone to motivational speaking and bloodless messages. And I've found that if you'll preach on the blood, a holy hush comes over that place. People want to hear about the blood of Jesus, the cross of Christ. They want to hear about redemption. They want to hear the word sin because they know something's wrong. So we get to be a novelty. So when we have a thousand guitars of praise and I walk out, we all walk out to 16,000 people, we're going to have one message, Christ and Him crucified, and we're just going to let it go. And, and uh, you know, I, I know what's going to happen. There's just going to be this holy hush over that place because that's, that just brings you direct to the, the, the presence of, of God. It's the bottom line. So thank God for the blood and for the cross. And, and we're going to do our best, do, play our little part to reignite that message in America. Reignite that message. But Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we see the progress of salvation in the be happy attitudes. We see, Lord, somebody realizing they're in poverty and needing the true spiritual riches. Then we see somebody mourning over their sin. Then we see somebody growing in Christian growth and developing meekness and experiencing a wonderful hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We thank you, Lord, for the progress in the Christian walk we see in these Beatitudes. Now we pray, Lord, help us to walk in meekness, strength held back, strength under discipline, strength under the control of the Spirit. And help us, Lord, to experience a brand new and afresh, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Increase it in our life. For we know that as We hunger and thirst. You will fill it, and we will only go from blessing to blessing, faith to faith, and glory to glory. In Jesus' name. Now, will you take a minute, and will you just pray that prayer for yourself, that God will help you today as you drive away to practice meekness, put his yoke around your neck, and learn from him.